0: and you're listening to the Pressing Matters podcast. Uh, I'm Sam Hyde and I'm joined by Toby Pusever who is our resident football expert.
1: That's a bit of an outrageous claim there Sam but thank you very much, you're too kind.
0: Football fan, is that better or?
1: I suppose we can uh, wait and see. I think we should, we can decide part way through.
0: We'll we'll see what you come out with. Uh, It it is of course the World Cup at the moment. Uh, How
1: have you been finding it so far Toby? Uh, It is indeed, it is indeed, and we are currently in the middle of a game, which makes me feel exactly like John Monson, but um, uh, I've been enjoying it, I am having withdrawals at the moment because two games a day, you know, isn't enough.
0: I'm missing the 10 o'clock actually, that was um, quite a nice thing to put on in the morning.
1: Uh, I think it helped me get out of bed to be quite honest, Um, it's been nice you know, working from home and having that continually a, co- a continuous stream that you get what like an hour's break from, and then you get about thirty minutes added time anyway, so uh talking about the added time wh- wh- how are you I don't know, how are you how are you finding that
0: uh yeah well, the thing is like the, they say that um an actual game of football the ball is only in play for about sixty minutes, don't they so um, yeah. it is a weird kind of rule that they don't fully um commit to with the added time normally
1: my thing on on this yeah they say what 50 to 60 minutes i think 60 is the average but it's been i don't know i think it depends who you watch if you're an atletico madrid fan then 60 is probably i don't know you're probably being treated to to 60 minutes right as much as i agree that um it needs to be reviewed right i i see what they're doing with like ridiculous minutes added on, well, ridiculous compared to what we know, right? But you can't just stop the clock all the time because um, there's different types of time wasted. There's time wasted by the game and time wasted by the players. And there was, uh, I can't remember his name, but the old Italian ref, the classic ref, the everyone loves him because he's screaming in people's faces ref. (laughs)
0: You know, there we go. Thank that you one.
1: very much. Um, he was talking about that. He was talking about time wasted by the game. And I think um, it's not a dangerous thing, but it's a, um, you can't just stop the clock every time it goes out for a throw-in because then you're going to be playing ridiculous minutes or, or you'd have to then trial playing for just 60 minutes, which I think would look, I don't know. It'd be very interesting to see how different that looks. Um, he
0: was on the cover of um, pairs, wasn't he? Remember.
1: yeah yeah the ref would you have liked to see Mike Dean uh, on a pez <laughs> um
0: <laughs> I think that's... that would just give me it'd be trauma I think I,
1: well have I enjoyed the world cup I have enjoyed the world cup I have not enjoyed the reffing at the world cup to be honest
0: yeah just one thing about the stoppage time I think um the problem at the moment with the world cup is that you get to the end of the game and then Uh, there was a point early on where suddenly it was uh, eight minutes and you felt like the players didn't really know whether it was going to be um, sort of three or four minutes as we've seen sometimes. And sometimes it's gone up to like 11 minutes. Um, So in terms of like the game management of that, I think um, it's probably got to be quite hard for the players uh, having such a big range in the time of potential stoppage times. Yeah,
1: I think that's very true. I think that also leads into maybe... The main point on refs, actually, is in lit- inconsistency. It's that word that just comes through over and over again. You see Ronaldo's penalty given. You see others, which are exactly the same, that aren't given. Um, you know, or, or there are some that are more stonewall that, that are given. You see Messi's one that is given from Chesney, Um And others aren't. So I... I basically an identical situation it's not given now look that's always going to happen when you're looking at the profiles of players and things like that what can you give but that just shows i don't know human error and it shows the well what var should be stamping out but we might go into we might get heavy it could be a heavy opening if we just talk about refs it could just be that forever um
0: this this is one of the main problems that people seem to say when you talk to people that aren't the the craziest football fans, but people who follow it every week, is that they'll complain about how the VAR is being used. And I was talking to someone that I live with uh yesterday and they were talking about how VAR is used to go um back in time quite far or um you have these really tight offsides or you have these very minor coming togethers in the box that gave given for penalties and uh there just seems to be a lot of confusion from certain certain types of fans
1: about all the VAR usage. No, I, I yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think also it's the... Right, decisions are subjective. Yeah, I get that. But the use of VAR seems to then also be subjective. I just don't see how you could ever get consistency from it. The only thing you can get consistency is, to be fair, the offsides in this World Cup As, like mind-bendingly excruciating as they have been at times, because it's so minuscule, at least something has like it is black and white, right? And that and VAR use in the prem as well should be that but it, there's lines fudged together and all this like the the camera the extra cameras and, and this new technology basically that's being trialled at this World Cup it has been basically bang on it but it does lead into a decision of or, or a conversation of where on the body should it be you know
0: yeah I like um I like the suggestion they're talking about Stay at the Belgium game um there was one of the, one of these um, shirt sleeve offsides that was really, really close and hard to judge. But the technology seems to be working, working well, I think, even if for the more old school football fan, it can be a little bit frustrating.
1: Yeah, I think I would rather be frustrated because it's so accurate, it's actually kind of...
0: It's like FIFA, isn't it? though? you have these offsides in FIFA. You know, like you always have them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, yeah, and it turns it into a video game esque accuracy, right? And I mean, we've all played FIFA, and we all know that it's not accurate in many many areas. But at least something as robotic as that, it shouldn't be getting wrong. Should we talk about England? I think we need to move on before we uh enter a wormhole of talking about refs for an hour. But uh yeah, let's let's talk about England, Sam. Have have you been excited whilst watching England in the World Cup? That's what I'd like to know.
0: Well, it's it's quite awkward, isn't it? Because uh a lot of people spoke about Southgate's record going into the World Cup, but, you know, uh didn't score for about five or six games, wasn't it, from open play? Um, lost 4-0 to Hungary. Yeah. And generally played quite boring football, but uh, first game comes out and scores six and everyone's thrilled. Immediately it um, sort of switches to the 0-0 with the USA and everyone's miserable again and then we beat Wales 3-0 and everyone's thrilled. So it just seems to be like such different levels all the time with England. Um it feels like tournament football results are all that matters. Um, so it it depends how England go on in the future. If it is pretty boring to watch Southgate's England a lot of the time, especially the first half against Wales and the game against the
1: USA. Yeah, um, I think um, look, if we do well, we do well, right? That's just like the nature of tournament football. It's it's. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you play well and go out early. It's, you know that's that's the truth of it. Whereas if you're, I suppose, in a league format, if you're subjecting, if you're a fan subjected to thirty-eight a thirty-eight game season of Southgate football, you've got more uh, reason to sort of demand better, right? Especially when you're not going to win the league with it anyway, right?
0: I wonder if fans of sort of the top six. Premier League teams or whatever have uh, a more pessimistic about England than someone who supports, say, Oldham. Um,
1: yeah. You know,
0: top six fans are moving down in enjoyment watching England.
1: But yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Everyone's experience is is different. Everyone's, yeah, you're right. Everyone's everyone's sort of journey and um, step to the national team, right. In the same way for the players, though, I guess, right? You're going from, like, being able to, I don't know, be Ben White and and Trent having the time of your life, crucial to open, expansive, attacking uh, football, and then you change to this. It's, it's the same for the fans if you support those two teams or if you support um, whoever else. That's obviously it's, it's you know it's a different experience i'm not saying that i'm i'm having the same experiences as trent alexander arnold um i reckon he's feeling more hard done by than me sitting at home just being slightly bored because declan rice hasn't been given the freedom to to kind of do what he wants in centre midfield but yeah, you're spot on. It's where everyone's, it's where it's where you're coming from, and everyone's idea of how England play is going to be compared against what they're watching all the time. And if you're a team, if you're a fan watching a top six team, then then there's no doubt about it that this is boring. Apart from maybe if you're, I don't know, Chelsea.
0: <laughs> you mentioned um, Trent and Ben White. Um, ben White has um, yesterday just been told that yeah, we've been told that he's uh, left the squad due to personal reasons, but. These were both two players that um, both absolutely loved by fans of top six teams, and then can't seem to get into the England team at all. Um, Walker got ahead of um, Trent in the last game, which was when Trippy was rested. Uh, What do you make of all this?
1: Yeah, I. So my thing with the Walker trip, right? My my Walker over Trent against Wales. I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about this, I think there's two angles, right? You can see it as, look, Wales are going to sit deep and counter, so therefore we need somebody with the sort of arsenal of Trent Alexander-Arnold to to pick that apart, right? Um, That's how I would look at it. However, there is, I can see an argument to be made that the only threat Wales were going to have in that game is from... uh you know tra- transition to attack winning the ball deep and breaking in behind with someone like dan james's pace or you know bale i mean i honestly i don't even know if bale's quick anymore he must be because he was right but is he he doesn't play he just plays golf so who knows if if he's really a threat in behind at this point i suppose he could be
0: i've not watched uh enough mls this season to tell you how gareth bale is doing
1: um no <laughs> neither have i which maybe you know maybe that's on us i suppose it is on us but um it is on us but i'm not going to change yeah no i'm 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 not going to i'm not going to change either although if lafc sign the players that is being rumored then you know maybe that'll that'll quickly change but anyway um so so my my point on on walker what he does reduce is you know, a transitional threat from a counter-attacking team. Something that I think Trent does very well. To be quite honest, I think he's very good at pressing high and winning the ball high, and defending in advanced areas. But the issue is that you remember the you remember the bad more than the good. I think. Um, and the bad costs goals. So the bad is very bad. So it gets remembered very, you know, clearly, I think, I think maybe Southgate looked at it and thought, you know, their only threat, they're not going to dominate possession Wales. Their only threat is going to be when we lose the ball and we're, you know, more, you know, we're disorganized. We're not in a, in a shape to win the ball back maybe, Or, or if they can pick maybe two passes, and find someone who's got a bit of time on the ball then the early ball in behind is on and maybe he's thinking walker totally totally denies that there's no there's no doubting that pep's man city are well the most the highest the most advanced positionally the most expansive team in in the league and yet walker is very good at at, at defending a break um i think maybe you looked at that to be quite honest because i don't see how yeah i think that's the angle but i think that shows just just um southgate's approach it's it's kind of like um it's it's just it well pragmatic that's that's the word it's just like oh better to defend in case we like have pick my right back who can defend the counter rather than pick my right back who's more ideal for breaking down this type of team that's 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 where I stand on it. But if you're not going to play him in that game, when are you ever going to play Trent? He's like the, yeah, he's yeah. I think it's a bit scandalous, but I can see an argument for defending for for being better at defending counters with Walker and that being their only threat in the game. Uh,
0: another player who hasn't played for England yet, but probably because of the injury, was uh, James Madison. Um, he feels like someone that. You'd want to slot into this England team, is that right? Instead of Mason Mount, someone a bit more creative.
1: Yeah, I think this is this is again traits of Southgate. I think it's again just shows kind of how extreme he is on sort of trusting players that he's picked before. I think what you see in the whole reason of why Maguire starts is is the same I'm not saying mount has done what maguire has done in his club season um but he's clearly not really been I don't know performing at, at the level that that you would you would want him to for
0: yeah there was a very good um graphic on match of the day just before um the world cup squad was announced which was showing uh English players and their goal involvements uh in twenty twenty two. Um this is when Ivan Tony was um second behind Harry Kane and then did make the squad.
1: Is this when Ivan Tony also hadn't been done for betting on anything anything he could bet on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: That is the uh little asterisk you have to put on that. Yeah, uh, not sure what's gonna come of that obviously. But um the point is um Mason Mount uh, was basically bottom of all the attack-minded players uh, behind Jack Grealish. Um, you had James Madison, who was also doing really, really well. Yeah, uh, Raheem Sterling was ahead of ahead of Mount, but I think it was something. It, it was a it was a much smaller amount of goals and assists than you'd expect from Mount uh, compared to how he'd been playing. Certainly, the season before. Yeah. Well, certainly, the year before that.
1: But but I still think you know I, I, I Mount is an intelligent player. Um, he's a good presser, he's very energetic um, and I do think he interprets space well, I think he is an intelligent player, but it's not like those things can't be said for the wealth of talent that England have in the squad, I just think okay, but yeah, so, so that would be my first point on that, is that, you know, it's not like Madison can't do a lot of those things, there there are things that he doesn't do as well as as Mason Mount Um, but when you look at the club form and, and you look at how they had been playing and things uh, and those involvements as you talk about we we see all of this and yet at any point did you doubt that Mason Mount would start the first the first game of the <laughs> of the tournament
0: i actually am naive enough to think that it will change
1: right okay but it won't and, so. and I was it won't because it. harry maguire harry maguire is the is the is the evidence of it right but it but it's yeah. double standards it really is it's because I mean, the quotes with Phil Foden not playing, you know, not coming off the bench and Henderson coming off the bench instead against that U- in that USA game. And it's the quotes are like, well, he hadn't really played there for his club. Maguire's not, not playing for his club, but he plays. So, yeah. you know, I just...
0: But yeah, I was feeling exactly the same about uh, Rashford as well, when I saw Rashford was starting, who um, has been playing for United, but it's been a little bit, up and down, I think, for Rashford. Yeah, he's not playing all the time, is he? No, he's not. No, he's
1: well, but but then,
0: but then Southgate puts faith in Rashford, and then he scores. Uh...
1: Yeah, and my issue with this is he's... that Did he scored twice. He scored against right? Iran and Wales, which which is great because you you can only score against who you're up against. But like, does he start now? Does that does has he done enough to start? Because really, in my eyes. If you're playing against Iran and Wales, I don't think I don't think anyone in that I don't think anyone in that team could do in en- like right. If Madison plays, does he not play well because he's playing against Iran and Wales? He's playing against lesser opposition mm. that they sh- he should be like. So I just feel like he got his chance. Yes, yeah. he took his chance. Yes, he did score in both you know in both games. But the free kick, it's 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 on target and it's well hit. But Danny Ward gets totally done. Starts going to the right, doesn't trust his wall, gets done by it. Yeah, I'm, I suppose all of the players who are fr- on the fringe. I just don't feel like you can fairly judge things against the the opposition that there has been. But it's tough because if Madison doesn't play in those games, when does he play? When is he trusted by Southgate? And and actually, I, I kind of feel like it's a bit like Grealish at the Euros. Grealish sort of mania swept the nation, and Southgate wasn't even like. (laughs) Southgate wasn't even playing him. It was the whole. It was the same story coming out all the time, right? It was the same story. Madison wasn't Southgate's pick, I believe. Madison was the media's pick, and I think Southgate let the media have it to keep the media on side because i think he knows how crucial it is right
0: Uh, this is a major conspiracy no 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 but But
1: when i say the media's pick i mean i don't think he was getting backhanders in the in the post he wasn't getting uh death threats or he wasn't getting like uh you know the anonymous newspaper clippings cut up and be like pick madison or we're gonna write terrible articles about you i just think it's like
0: is there going to be a Netflix documentary about this?
1: I, I think the thing with Madison, I think Southgate's smart in that he knows he has to make certain decisions to shut certain people up and and you know keep. I think he's good at squad harmony, and I think he's actually quite good at harmony with the media. This is the first like English generation that has that has been well received in the media for since I was probably born, right? Since I was alive and I can remember. And Southgate has done that very well. If he believed in Madison to the point of picking... He would have been picked in squads before, right? He wasn't. He wasn't picked in squads before. But his form was so good at the perfect time, and it's a 26-man squad rather than whatever it was before, he can afford to take him.
0: So Madison's stats this season, he's got seven goals and four assists in 13 games. Um... He has been one of the income players with the best out.
1: But also the stats that you just said, like, like he had to, but he didn't want, I don't think he wanted to. I don't think he like, look, maybe I'm, maybe it's unfair to criticize him for doing something, even though I'm imagining that he didn't want to do it. But I just think, I just think his hand was forced, 26 man squad. His form was ridiculous at the time. The media were loving him. Everyone, like Gary Lineker's saying, like, oh, what, what can you do? What more can he do? Everyone's saying, what more can he do? It's so, it was so prominent and it was such an elephant in the room. And, and you know, as soon as we draw nil nil to USA and he's not on the plane, everyone's turning around and going, well, that, well, Madison would have done that. Oh, Madison done that. You can't play badly if you don't play. Do you know what I mean? What are we going to talk about next? Uh, Luis Enrique's Twitch stream, Sam. I haven't seen any of his Twitch streams because I don't speak Spanish, sadly, uh, but I am very jealous, not only of the talent in the Spanish national team, but also the fact that their coach is a Twitch streamer and also their coach, to be honest, after, after all that Southgate slander. But Tell
0: me more, Tim, because I don't know what he does. Is he a VTuber or what's, what's going on?
1: So I believe it's after games or it might be the next day, but essentially he just goes on there, does, a, I think, it's just a bit of a Q&A. Uh, I mean, I assume it's a Q&A because last, the last clips I saw, people were asking him what he thinks about football players having sex before games and things like that. Um, But I don't speak Spanish, so I, I didn't pick it all up. But I like the, I like the idea of the public being able to interview a coach after a game. Okay, I think interviews after games are incredibly stale when interviewers have the opportunity to have a few minutes with some of the greatest footballing minds well, we've ever seen, right? We've ever come across. And they'll use the time to just ask horrendous questions that are leading down a pathway to be able to get a headline out of it when in reality i love how i've gone on to this when my example of a question was uh, posed for luis enrique was just do you think it's all right for players to have sex before games but but you're (laughs) so it doesn't really uh translate beautifully there but i just think it's a great opportunity i think it's a great i think it's a great um path to go down of having like Q&As with managers after after football games I think you have a lot more interesting questions I don't think I don't think um journalists in the main ask very good questions I think they ask questions that direct essentially a pre-written account of what they've seen and I just think yeah I think it, I think they ask questions to get the headline from uh that they've already got in their mind. They've already got a narrative and they just need some quotes to back that narrative up.
0: Um, Yes, I remember Brendan Rodgers talking after one of his Leicester games to uh, Emma Hayes, the Chelsea manager. And uh, just the the level of insight that you'd get from that was like 10 times more than you'd get from a normal post-game interview. Um, It was a little bit awkward sometimes because they were doing it like on a weird live feed and you go go like, oh, hi, it's Lee Dixon here. And then they'd be like, oh, hi, Lee. And then you can cut yeah. all that out. But, yeah. uh, once they actually got into it with the actual, they'd be like one pundit they'd have on that would have loads of uh,
1: experience or insight and it worked really well. Footballers aren't presenters, yeah? And coaches aren't presenters. So there may be a lack of smoothness. I understand that. But I kind of appreciate that more than just this really smooth conversation that isn't about anything. It's about fluff and it's about sort of predetermined narratives and just certain events that happen that ultimately the coach can't do anything about anyway and can't really discuss anyway. You can talk about the coach's plans and, and and maybe reactions within a game. And, you know, similarly to, you, you mentioned Emma Hayes talking directly to, uh, Brendan Rodgers or or whoever the coach was but on prime on prime they had Thomas Frank and Graham Potter they had them both pitch side together um doing the pre-match interview together and it was it was it was fantastic they said if you could ask like they had them asking each other questions and that that is levels ahead of 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 anything I've seen in in like interview fluff it, it, it just feels like it's interview fluff these days and it doesn't feel like you know you, you had you had Thomas Frank asking Graham Potter how he views formations and and why he changes formations so often and and things like that and that shows not only not only is it a fantastic question that leads on to a great answer and Graham Potter spoke about how he doesn't really see it as formations he sees it as roles which a lot of coaches share that view but um you know, that in itself is is something brilliant. And then also the fact that that's what Thomas Frank... Like, in, in asking the coach of the opposite team to ask the question, you're kind of showing what the coach is... I don't want to say concerned about, but maybe what they've been analysing, what they've been looking at, what they've spent hours trailing through. You know, I just think that's... It, it opens the door both ways, right? Getting the coach to ask... The question leads into what they've been thinking about and also it leads into a much better response.
0: We should we should talk about um, we should talk about Japan. So Spain go through on account of their seven 0 dismantling of Costa Rica and Japan yes, top the group. Yes. There's been a lot of shocks at this World Cup. Uh, you might call it a shock, I suppose, that Belgium went out a shock fair isn't it
1: it is a shock it is a shock no one's no one's claiming morocco and croatia go through ahead of them like both teams go through you know what i mean
0: they are an old team but they should have the quality to be better than morocco and croatia shouldn't they the thing is before the, the world cup as well is i was looking at the croatia team and thinking are they are they over the hill and then it turns out it's belgium
1: yeah i think it's quite interesting though um if Lukaku's fit, is it different? I suppose is the first big, big question. I'm kind of tempted to say no, really. But
0: well, it was a very interesting game for Romelu Lukaku. It, it was bad. It was bad, but not really his fault. Romelu Lukaku hasn't been fit obviously recently. Um, hardly played. And at halftime, they brought him on, and it was a lot of pressure on
1: Lukaku. We can say what we want about Belgium aging squad and things like that, but look, ultimately I think you've gotta be getting out of a group that's got Croatia who who were arguably, you know, looked at as over the hill, and also Morocco, who who Morocco were fantastic, don't get me wrong, but I think Belgium have the quality despite some players being aging, they've got the quality. However, having said all of that, Roberto Martinez's quotes are very interesting, uh, in a press conference where he was talking about he was basically challenged on the golden generation saying, "Are oh, they the golden generation. They've not won anything. They've not done this. And he comes out and defends them and says, look, okay, so semi-final. And he also sort of cited more the players they produced and the legacies that they could leave in terms of a coaching influence as well on the world. I mean, that's an interesting perspective, but it's also not one that the vast majority of people will use to measure a golden generation and also one that's yet to be decided but um there's no doubt there's a huge amount of quality that has that has come out of belgium in the past i suppose eight eight years maybe eight to 10 years um and it will be interesting to see what some of these fantastic players do maybe in the game later on it's it's quite an interesting point to make the claim of um well, how do you measure a golden generation? A, a country with a population and, and size as small as Belgium, you know, should they be measured on winning the World Cup if they go and produce a, a fantastic group of players that don't quite make it but do go far?
0: Just one a couple more things with Belgium is that Wout well, Fass has been pretty good for Leicester and then didn't get a look in for over two quite old centre-backs uh, in Alderweireld and Batongen. And then Dendonka was the other one not a centre-back and Kevin De Bruyne has been a little bit disappointing you'd say as well because because of how well he's been playing at Man City to see him particularly in that, that first game he his choice of pass and the actual execution was uh, unfamiliar for De Bruyne.
1: We've seen a lot of group stage games now, we've seen giant killings of Germany and Belgium We've discussed those. Who have you been... I suppose not who are your favourites. Who do you think can go far? And... Or, or who have you enjoyed watching and, and would like to see win maybe? You know?
0: Really enjoyed watching France. Um, they totally rotated in the last game against Tunisia. So I'm not going to say that's accurate of what they were like but um really Im- impressed with how uh direct and exciting France were to watch um against Australia and Brazil are a bit of a weird one they play tomorrow but uh really amazing squad on paper and two wins from two so they seem to be seem to be going pretty well so far
1: yeah i think they're the they're the big two that everyone looked at pre-tournament that have actually backed it up, you know? Um, obviously France, yeah, look, the Tunisia result, but the whole team's changed. I didn't, I didn't even realise Steve Mondonda was in the squad still, to be quite honest with you. It's been <laughs> Loris and Mondonda for, What oh, is he like 40. Like my whole yourself. life. <laughs> it feels like anyway. Um, have you been enjoying any, anyone else? So France and Brazil, the big two. Um, but uh, other than that i mean spain but then spain started so hot and then they draw and they lose um i would always say it's better to start a tournament slowly and grow into it and play your best football at the right time um now some teams can totally disprove that and just blow teams away for the whole tournament we see that with you know the the xavi and the era spain you could probably even say that with france i can' can't quite remember the exact results of of the World Cup, but they were dominant throughout but generally I would say you know you don't want to play your best football at the start of the tournament um you you need to grow you need to grow into these things just just thinking about Spain, I feel like a seven nil win to open it is tough I mean it's an incredible luxury to have, but it's tough in how do you back that up right? You win 7-0 to Costa Rica and your next game is Germany. Like, I don't know.
0: You're not going to win 8-0, are you?
1: Well, no, right? So then, yeah, it's going to get smaller. Is that then disappointing? It's not disappointing, but look, if you blow Germany away 5-0, it's not disappointing. It's a bigger result than beating Costa Rica 7-0. But I just think if you start that fast, blitzing the opening team is going to be fantastic for confidence, but can it lay into a lot of hype, a lot of expectation? from your country's media f- within the camp do things get sloppy i'm not am not suggesting they don't train hard because of it but i'm just it's human nature to have some form of i don't know i, I don't i i'm hesitant to use the term drop off even though they have then dropped off in their results um that that's player dependent as well and, and you can't judge it so i'm sort of waffling away about things we'll never be able to measure or, or even understand but they're still interesting to think about I suppose
0: <laughs> Okay so I think that about covers everything for, for this week uh, we'll be back next week for the round of 16 and we'll see if Brazil live up to expectations uh, Goodbye
1: Goodbye goodbye